the introduction. Read with me. If I'm not mistaken, I see Hazel with us today. It is so good to see you. We praise God. She is a very and has been a very special lady for this entire city, not just this church and other churches, but for this entire city. And so we're glad to have you and your guests with us today, all of you that have come to worship the Lord with us. The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. That is taken from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. And it's taken from the Living Bible. Notice as we read, we all face pitfalls as we make plans for our future, such as cultural distractions, voices of doubt, tempting shortcuts, and discouraging delays. The title of the sermon this morning is Predicting the Future. Predicting the Future. The Gaithers wrote the song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because I Know He Holds the Future. I love that. Because I Know He Holds the Future. And life is worth the living just because He Lives. William Shakespeare said this, it is not the stars, or rather, it is not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. May we determine to make strong and right choices for the coming year. And it is is fastly approaching the coming 2016. And we look forward to that. And we believe that we can help shape the future by the choices that we make. I'm going to read the introduction to 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. But before I do, I want to talk about a man that has certainly made an impression upon millions and millions of people. You hardly hear very few people that is preaching or teaching that at some time they will not quote from the writings of this man. Eugene Peterson was born in East Stanwood, Washington and grew up in Kalispell, Montana. He earned his BA in philosophy from Seattle Pacific University, his STP from New York Theological Seminary and his MA in Semitic Languages from Johns Hopkins University. He also holds several honorary doctorate degrees. In 1962, Peterson was a founding pastor of Christ Our King Presbyterian Church in Bel Air, Maryland where he served that church for 29 years before retiring in 1991. He was professor of spiritual theology at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia until retiring 
in 2006, he now lives in Montana. He wrote the message, a contemporary translation of the Bible. He tells us a little bit about his writing. Peterson is probably best known for the message, the Bible in contemporary language, which was written to make the original meaning more understandable and accessible to the modern reader. Peterson, I love his explanation, explains, when Paul of Tarsus wrote a letter, the people who received it understood it instantaneously. Instantly, rather. When the prophet Isaiah preached the sermon, I can't imagine that people went to the library to figure it out. That was the basic premise under which I worked. Interesting reading. Listen. I began the New Testament in the Greek, a rough and jagged language, not so grammatically clean. I just topped out a page the way I thought it would have sounded to the Galatians. Why the message? Bear with me. Why the message? Why did he write that? Why is it? interesting and why do we read that today? The best answer to that question comes from Eugene Peterson himself. While I was teaching a class, listen to this, while I was teaching a class on Galatians, I began to realize that the adults in my class weren't weren't feeling the vitality and directness that I sensed as I read and studied the New Testament in its original Greek. Writing straight from the original text, I began to attempt to bring into English the rhythms and idioms of the original language. I knew that the early readers of the New Testament were captured and engaged by these writings, and I wanted my congregation to be impacted in the same way. I hope to bring the New Testament to life for two different types of people. And notice those two types of people. First of all, those who hadn't read the Bible because it seemed too distant and it seemed too irrelevant. And those who had read the Bible so much that it had become old hat. It's two good reasons to write a contemporary wording of the Greek Old Testament. And he goes on and speaks more about why he wrote the book, the Bible, the message. And uh, I've just been impressed. We were given this, my wife and I were given our first copy uh, many years ago by Chester Jenkins in our fellowship. And I have learned to love and appreciate this man's writing. Anytime there's someone writing, you've got to eat the meat or you may have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. But I don't find if any, and I I will say this, I have found a few bones, many bones in the message. It helps you to understand God's word. It's one thing to read the King James Version, which is the standard by which most of us go by. And something else to read, the Living Bible, as I read this morning, the the New International Version, 
and other translations along with paraphrasing it like the message. And it, it opens up not a new meaning of the scripture, but certainly a broader meaning. I said all that because I wanted to read the introduction to first and second Thessalonians. I wrote it down, or we have it in your copy of the outline. Keep in mind predicting the future. Eugene Peterson says in the uh, introduction, the way we receive the future sculpts the present. The way we receive the future sculpts the present, gives contour and tone to nearly every action and thought through the day. If our sense of future is weak, we live listlessly, much emotional, listen to this one, much emotional and mental illness and most suicides occur among men and women who feel they have no future. I uh, I open up the old hymn that we have in front of you there in your pew. This particular book was printed by Tennessee Music and Printing Company back in Cleveland, Tennessee. If you know anything about the denomination, the Church of God, they're the ones that had this particular songbook printed. And it was printed in, in 1951, 1951. For many years as a young man, as a kid growing up, we sung songs from this book. It has now been shelved to a certain extent and does very little but gather dust. But when this book was written, there were songs many songs that spoke of and recorded songs about the future. I want to list a few of them as we go through the general index. A new name in glory. All will be glory. Be ready to go. Echoes from the glory shore. Everybody will be happy over there. Getting ready to leave this world. Boy, that's an oxymoron. That's, that's something you don't want to hear anymore about. Getting ready to leave this world. I'm not ready to leave this world. I want to stay here forever. I like it here. Now, we may not say that, but a lot of times we live like that. Glory is coming. God holds the future in his hands. Hallelujah, I'm going home. He's coming. He's coming again. How beautiful heaven must be. Oh, we think about how wonderful it is down here. When you can decorate a church like this, who wants to go to heaven? When we have all that we have and everything that we enjoy, and we're doing all of this stuff. I don't know. 
I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Most Christians feel right at home in this world. You see the difference? I don't want to get adjusted. You know what? We could retitle that to say I'm already adjusted. (laughs) I'm being a little facetious this morning, but it's true. As we look at these songs, I will slip away home. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I'll fly away. These songs don't ring a bell with us anymore. I'll live in glory. I'll ride on the clouds with my Lord. I'm going home, looking for a city, just over in the glory land, mansions in heaven, and on and on and on. Now, would I want to open this book every Sunday and sing three songs out of this book? Probably not. And I'm not saying that. I think, I think God, you know, a lot of times, and I say this quite often, I'm not necessarily praying for God to bless what I'm doing. I want to do what God's blessing. And God's blessing the songs that are being used today. But sometimes, there are times that I feel like we've moved too far away from this. We are so accustomed to heaven or to earth. We are so comfortable here. We're not anxious anymore to go home. Don't shout me down now. I hadn't got quite going yet. but It is so true. And here he says that the Christian faith, read with me again, has always been characterized by a strong and focused sense of future. With belief in the second coming of Jesus as the most distinctive detail from the day Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers lived in expectancy of his return. I remember my wife's dad as he preached many funerals and as a very young man growing up under his ministry, one of his favorite verses or texts rather as he would preach a funeral was, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. This is Jesus. If you had a red letter Bible, it'd be in red. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, this is Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. This is none other than Jesus Christ himself talking about the time he's coming. He told them he was coming back. Jesus Christ. You say, do you believe that? Everything else he said came to pass. I might as well believe that. The Old Testament writers, the major and the minor prophets that prophesied of the first coming of Jesus Christ 
was right on. They didn't miss it one bit. And there were many, many, many prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ, whether it was he would be born of a virgin or whether it would be in Bethlehem or whatever it would be, those prophecies come, came to pass. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe this. He told them he was coming back. They believed he was coming back. They continued to believe it. For Christians, it is the most important thing to know and believe about the future. The practical effect of this belief is to charge each moment of the present with hope. Hope for many has taken wings. There is little hope in people's lives today. As we continue to hear about the happenings in California, in Paris, as we can see, continue to see what's happening to America today. America today is not the America that you and I, the older ones, knew 40 and 50 years ago. It has changed, not for the good, but for the bad. Oh, there are a lot of good things. There are wonderful things. The, the morality, the virtue, the character that was so strong many years ago certainly has changed. The practical effect of this belief, the belief of Jesus coming, is to charge each moment with the present with hope. For if the future is dominated by the coming again of Jesus, there is little room, read it with me, little room left on the screen for projecting our anxiety and our fantasies. Somebody say amen. That's a good sentence. It takes the clutter out of our lives. We're far freer to respond spontaneously to the freedom of God. All the same, the belief can be misconceived so that it results in paralyzing fear for some, shiftless indolence in others, or stifless indolence in others. Shiftless it is. Paul's, listen to this, Paul's two letters to the Christians in Thessalonica, among much else, correct such debilitating misconceptions prodding us to continue to live forward in taunt and joyful expectations for what God will do next in Jesus. As we approach 2016, will this be the year, maybe even before, will this be the year that Jesus Christ comes again? Is, is, is this the year that we should make our election and calling sure and know that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when you study 1 Thessalonians, when you study 2 Thessalonians, you see that God Almighty instructed those churches or that church to understand the coming, to have a perfect knowledge of the second coming 
of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. I believe that the rapture of the church is the next thing on the agenda in God's timetable. Majorly, I'm saying. Majorly. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. I'm talking about predicting the future. Notice what the Living Bible says there. A prudent man, a wise man, foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I'm talking about wise, prudent men and women that will dare to know that something is about to happen and say, I am going to be ready. I am going to be prepared for it. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Proverbs also 22 and 3. The prudent person sees trouble coming and he ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. A lot of people going to get clobbered. But the prudent man, the man or the woman that sees sin and understands the, the penalty of that sin and how awful that sin is, he sees that sin and says, I will have nothing to do with it. The prudent man foresees evil and hides himself now you tell me where we're going to hide ourselves from evil. We can hide ourselves under the shelter of the Almighty God. We can hide ourselves under the blood of Jesus Christ. But the simpleton, that man will pass on and are punished. They are punished. Let me read what the what I read earlier, verse 14, verse 8 of or chapter 14 of Proverbs. The wise man looks ahead, the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. You can almost think, whether it's our government, whether it's man in sin. You, you can almost look at that and see fact facing us right in the face. But it says here, important, the fool won't face facts. It is a fact that there are terrorists that want to kill us. and certain kind. And we can look it square in the face and we won't face facts. You don't have to say man. That's okay. It's, it's, but it's true. We look at our schools. We look at our government. We'll soon be $20 trillion in debt and we won't face facts. We look at what's happened to our schools since we've taken prayer and Bible reading and godly principles out of our schools and we want face fact. 
And you could, you could name a thousand. You could name a thousand. You take a husband and wife. Face facts. Are you looking for a mate? You look at her and face facts. You look at him and face facts. Are you looking for a job? Plan for it. I believe that God expects us to be fervent in our planning for the future. Planning for the future. We just, we just float into the future. If we want to get married, we just go grab somebody and maybe we've dated them a few times. And, and Lord, how mercy we have that we get married. What in the world did I get a hold of? The divorce rate in the Christian church is 50%. And we thought she was something else. And he too. You don't read tea leaves. You read the Bible and face facts. There's no greater wisdom than, the, than Solomon's proverbs, his writings. You want to not get in debt? Get out of debt? Stay out of debt, face facts. You can't spend more than you make. And we, we, we oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to. You got yourself in that mess. Face facts, plan. Plan the family. Look to the future. Make plans for the future. I thank God for all the babies and all the children. But you think so many of these people are planning these children? Now you don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you the truth and you know it's the truth. We just go headlong and we're going to have our we're going to have our joy and our pleasure. And we've seen thousands of people ruined by alcohol and we'll guzzle it down. We're not facing facts. I don't understand it. I don't understand not planning that marriage. I don't understand not planning the children. And no one can I provide for those children. Face facts. Plan for the future. Don't just walk into 2016 and say, well, I'm here. That's just about the way we do. Think. You know, Pentecostals are some of the worst for not thinking. And I am a Pentecostal. I've been Pentecostal since I was nine years old and there's nothing like it. But we think God's going to grab us by the seat of the pants and he's going to take us through everything and he's going to handle everything. 
It's like, you know, we're going to pay our tithes. I'm going to give my 10% and I'm going to have me a nice Cadillac and a brick house. And I'm Not if you don't manage your money right. We need to be wise. The prudent man, he plans. He don't, he don't put his head in the hole and not look around and see what's happening. He don't think about, he, he thinks about what tomorrow holds. He thinks about what he should do with his investments. He thinks about getting out of debt and staying out of debt. He thinks about taking care of his body. Now I just went too far. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Oh, yes, you do. I'm going to go get me one little pill and I'm going to take that one little pill a day and it's going to just melt away. It's not if you don't stop eating too much and getting some exercise. Now I know I've quit preaching and gone to meddling. The wise man, the prudent man. Let me read it again. The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and says, just won't face facts. <laughs> we look at this one, we look at that one. Young people look at this one on drugs and that one on drugs and this one on drugs and they see they had a head-on collision. They died prematurely. They're sick. They've lost out. They're sleeping somewhere under a cardboard. And they ought to know it's, it won't happen to me. That's one, of the, that's one of the most deceptive things the devil peddles off to young people. It ain't gonna happen to me. It will happen to you. The Bible says a man will reap what he sows. Doesn't matter what he sows, he's gonna reap it. Maybe not today, not tomorrow. And we walk around smoking three packs of cigarettes a day and we have cancer. We wonder what in the world happened. I know you can have cancer without smoking. I'm not saying that. And you and I both know there's another side to this. Right now I'm on this side. we get married and we argue and we fuss and we argue and we fuss and the stubborn man won't go get counseling and the, and the woman, she just don't know what in the world to do. Face facts. Get counseling. Work it out. You know, I, 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 I've never thought about divorcing my wife, killing her two, two or three times, but not, not divorcing her. You say, oh, you both got got saved at nine and and she got saved at five and you both were just real easy to live with. 
She looked at me one day and she said, Don, I won't put up with this always. I won't be here. And I knew she meant it. And she had a right to say that. I was as hateful as you can get. You, you can't picture me being hateful, can you? I was. Stubborn. But I knew I had to change. Face facts. You know what I faced? I knew I would lose my wife, my children, my ministry, and it would all be gone. I faced facts. I fasted for seven straight days. Never drunk anything but water. I stood up in the church just like this. Boy, this is something you don't see anymore of. I stood up in the church and I said, folks, I've got a problem and I want you to pray for me. Twice. And then I became accountable to someone. We don't want to do that. I don't want to tell nobody my problem. I don't want nobody else to know what's going on in my life. Stubborn. Prideful. That's pride. I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather be where I'm at today than where I was back then. You know what I did? I didn't go and hide. I didn't go and say it won't happen. You know what I did just read? A prudent person sees trouble coming and he ducks. When I saw trouble, I ducked. But notice what it says. A simpleton walks in blindly and he's clobbered. And that wife says, I'm leaving and we're clobbered. We don't know what in the world happened. Face facts. I got to move on. But this is so important that we understand we can predict the future. We can predict the future. Look at number two. The best way to predict the future is to create it. That's Abraham Lincoln. I saw others that took credit for it, but I think it came really from Abraham Lincoln. Let me read it again. Look at your note. The best way to predict the future is to create it. The future that we create is by what we do, by what we say, and by what we become. And we have a choice in much of that. There are times we don't. There are times sickness comes when we didn't do anything to bring it on ourselves. There are times that trouble comes and we did not bring it on ourselves. But much of the time, what happens to us happens to us because of the seed that we sowed. What a man sows is what he will reap. The seeds we sow today determine our future. Somebody said, well, Brother Don, I've already got myself deep in, 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 in all of this. You can get out. It might be crawling for a while. It might take a lot of effort for a while. You don't have to stay there. If you do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And a lot of people keep doing what they always did. Change it. We are the architect of our future. Our future, 2016, is uncharted. But I want to be the architect. Notice number five. Our future is as bright as our faith. Woo. 
you ought to underline that one. If you got a marker, mark it. Our future is as bright as our faith. We chart our own course as we base our lives on the principles of God's word. Important. The first thing to do to create your future is to plan ahead. And we've just gone through that. You can't reach a goal if you don't set a goal. Set some goals for 2016. Be determined when it comes to the physical body. Be determined when it comes to finances. Be determined when it comes to the home, the marriage, the children. Set goals. Be determined when it comes your church family, your church attendance, supporting the church. Be determined. It is so important. Prudent men look ahead and adjust their lives to avoid loss, pain, or trouble. I just read those scripture to you. Wise men will not believe anything or do anything until they prove God's truth or will certainly in the matter. I'm closing. It is important that we believe in the soon return of Jesus Christ. Many people, many Christians, many believers are not motivated anymore simply because they don't believe Jesus is coming. Even when Peter wrote his epistles, there were scoffers in that day. Either said he's delayed his coming or simply he's not coming at all. It behooves the saint of God, the believer, to readjust his or her thinking through and by the word of God and the spirit of God and focus on the soon return of Jesus Christ. In fact, the people at Thessalonica, they thought he was coming so soon and then their loved ones started dying and they didn't know what would happen to them. That's one reason Paul wrote to them. To let them know they had not died in vain. That they themselves, when the rapture took place, would precede those that were remaining. He comforted them. There is no comfort. Listen, we see trouble on every hand. We hear about it every day. We're bombarded with all the negative stuff. There's no comfort like knowing that Jesus Christ is soon to return again. I'm glad and I want to go home. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. I want to be a person that, yes, I enjoy the blessings of God, but I want to stand with my shoulders back and say I'm ready for the return of Jesus Christ. There is comfort in Christ's coming. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, after all of these things, therefore comfort one another with these words. 5 and 11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. This was speaking, Paul was, of the day of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming again. For the believer... Listen, there is peace and hope for the future because of their faith 
in the Son of God. The expectation regarding the return of Christ was the hope of the earliest church. I would not cover this and give me just a couple, three more minutes if you will. I would not cover what I'm fixing to cover if I was not saddened by what I see with believers today, with the church, God's people. If you read chapter 24 and chapter 25 of the book of St. Matthew, you find that the writer is inspired by God to write about the day of the Lord, what I'm talking about, the coming, certainly the coming of the Lord. It is called the Olivet Discourse. And these two chapters, chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is speaking of his return and he's, he's laying down very plain what will take place during that time. And I'll use four parables very briefly. I'll use four parables very briefly. The parable of the faithful and the unfaithful steward. This is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 48. Brother Don, what will be the conditions today when Jesus Christ comes back? Listen, I I, I went back. April the 25th, 2010, and picked up this sermon. And at the bottom of it, this is what it says. Listen at it. It is so strikingly true for this day and hour. Speaking of this faithful and unfaithful, these two servants, Matthew chapter 24, verse 48, my Lord delayeth his coming. The first condition that you'll have about concerning the return of Jesus Christ is indifference. I'm going to watch my games on television. I'm going to go to all the places I'm going to work. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to be busy doing this and that and the other. And we finish, we fold our arms, and we sit back with indifference. How many of us today would go out and get our chicken leg if we knew that Jesus was coming at two o'clock this afternoon. We'd stay here and pray, wouldn't we? Or whatever. We might shout the whole time. Indifference. Number two, there's the negligence. He gives a parable, which many of us have heard, of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. The five foolish had no all. They neglected. Folks, that's the reason we need to go to church. That's the reason we need to pray. That's the reason we need to read our Bibles. We need to stay full of the Spirit of God. The all represents the Spirit of God. And we neglect ourselves when we gobble up all the stuff out here and we don't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to get it from the politicians. You're not going to get it from all the stuff on television. You're not going to get it from the world. You're going to get it through and by the word of God and the spirit of God and joining together with brothers and sisters of like faith. Number one is indifference. Number two is negligence. And then we find in Matthew chapter 25, 
Verse 44. Most of us know the judgment of the living nations. This is the judgment time. Jesus says, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in need. Here's what they're going to say. Listen to this. When saw we thee. Self-righteousness. First of all, the condition of the end time by the church will be indifference. Thirdly, will be negligence. We have no all. We're not on fire for God. And thirdly, self-righteousness. I didn't see you no way. I don't, you know. And last, listen to this one. The parable, boy, this is always strikes me. The parable of the talents. Most of us, if not all of us, remember they were given talents. One gave back, one with five gave back, or, or, or five. And, but the one with the one talent, he went and hid it, covered it up really good so he'd have it when Jesus came back. And here's what he said, I went and hid my talent. That's indolence. First of all, you've got indifference. Second of all, you've got negligence. Thirdly, you have self-righteousness and then indolence. We don't have to use what we have. I went to church, paid my tithes. That's it. I'm on my way to do whatever and the next week I'll go to church. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to condemn. I'm not preaching down our hope to you today. I'm just wanting us to realize we can get to this place unless God Almighty stirs our heart and we are ready and waiting and longing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forgive us today of our indifference. God forgive me of my negligence. Lord, I pray against self-righteousness that I might entertain. Heavenly Father, help me when it comes to indolence and when it comes, dear God, to refuse and to use the abilities, the gifts, and the talents that you've given me. Help us today. Help us today in the precious and in the holy name of Jesus. Let me pray this prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, may we live in eager expectation of the soon return of your son, Jesus Christ. Could you pray that prayer? Maybe not audibly, but but could you pray that prayer as I say it and pray it one more time? Could you really and truly pray this prayer? Father, may I live in eager expectation of the soon return of your son, Jesus Christ. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They're all expecting me at heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 
I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be afraid of the future. You can predict the future in certain ways by the way you live, by the life that you live in Christ. 